Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Ogletree Deacons podcast. My name is Robert Rodriguez, and I'm an attorney in the Sacramento, California office. Here with me today is my favorite shareholder, Karen Tynan. Hello, Karen. Thanks, Robert. We are here today to talk about the California Workplace Violence Prevention Law in a series of three podcasts. This is part two. We will talk about the workplace violence prevention plan requirements, including establishing and implementing the plan for compliance. Well, thank you for joining me today, Karen. (laughs) This is great, Robert. (laughs) Thanks. I'm excited about this part two. We're going to kind of dive in a little bit deeper. So let's go. All right. So Karen, in part one, we've gone over some of the basics of SB 553. So let's dive a bit deeper um, into the new labor code requirements. What are the specific requirements for the Workplace Violence Prevention Plan under SB 553? Okay, Robert. So um, everybody buckle up because <laughs> this is a, quite a list. So first and broadly, every California employer that this law applies to has to establish, implement, and maintain an effective workplace violence prevention plan. That means the plan isn't just in a binder up on a shelf, right, Robert? It's it's truly implemented in the workplace, and it also has to evolve. If there are new hazards, uh, if there are different locations, so establish, implement, and maintain are core safety words that you see in a lot of safety regulations, and that's the requirement here, Robert. Okay, and. So we've got the establish, implement, and maintain requirement. So what about, can the plan just be, you know, kind of everybody knows about it or does it have to be in writing? Right. So it can't be one of those plans that's all over the place and just a couple of different one pagers or something posted on the bulletin board that says be safe. The plan has to be in writing and The plan has to be available and easily accessible to employees, authorized representatives, and to Cal OSHA. So here's what that means. Your plan has to be written down with all these elements we're going to talk about, and it has to be available to your employees and, for example, to their union representatives, say their shop steward, whoever. And with that, Usually I see clients putting these type of plans on the intranet, right? Right. Somewhere where employees can access the plan to see, let's say, how they're supposed to report a threat or maybe the process around the violent incident log. So that's an important concept about this plan. And since it has to be accessible to what is referenced as the division at all times, That means that Cal OSHA can show up and demand a copy of the plan too, Robert. Right. And and I think one thing that stuck out to me about this particular law was, you know, it's not just kind of a one size fits all IIPP for your workplace. 
it's got to be in effect um, and customized to all work areas and yes. operations. So you could have employers that have, let's say, a production facility that might have to have a different workplace violence prevention plan as opposed to their you know, office cubicles. So it's yes. got to be a, a, a customized plan that may have multiple plans for the different work areas. And, and with that, Robert, I think it's important to note for those California employers that have their robust IIPP, Injury and Illness Prevention Plan, you can, under this law, incorporate your workplace violence prevention plan in it, or you can have it stand alone. And what we kind of really discovered as a best practice with COVID prevention plans and other uh, regulations is to have a separate document working for, with clients and in working at maintaining documents that reference changes and are effective. What do you think of that, of having the workplace violence prevention plan as a separate document, Robert? I like it. I like having it as a standalone, much like the COVID prevention plan. That way, when you're revising it, you know that's just been revised. It hasn't been the IIPP that's been revised. Um, It makes things a lot cleaner, I think, if you don't have as part of the standalone. But you can if you want. Right. The, The rule allows both. Now, in addition to having the plan in writing, you must have the name or job title of the person responsible for implementing the plan. We see this in other regulations, and it was certainly what we saw in the, I hate to reference back to it because I'd like to be done with it, Robert, the COVID plan. Um, <laughs> so having that name and job title or job title at the top of the plan makes it clear who people go to for questions, who's responsible for maintaining the plan, updating it. And it simply is a requirement. And frankly, it is such an easy general or regulatory citation that you would give Cal OSHA if you fail to do this one little part of it. And and I think it sets a bad precedent because I've had COVID inspections where the, the name of the person responsible for it is no longer with the band. And so, <laughs> right. so you've got to tell the inspector when he asks, can I talk to Robert yep. Rodriguez? And we have to say, unfortunately, Robert Rodriguez is no longer here. And so it really doesn't start you off with a good foot. So anytime somebody leaves, you're going to want to take a look at your plan and make sure that you have the correct person that's implementing it. I like that hint, Robert. <laughs> so another part of SB 553 is that employers must have effective procedures to obtain active involvement of employees and authorized employee representatives to work with the employer in developing and implementing the plan. Now, Robert, I see this as an area where Cal OSHA could come in and get an easy citation if an employer just drafts up a plan and doesn't involve employees. What do you think? I I 100% agree. I mean, it's really clear in this law that this plan um, has to be developed with employees or their their representatives, i.e. union members Mm -hmm. or union reps. Um, And so it's not just developing and implementing the plan, but they also have to be, the employees have to be involved in identifying, evaluating, and correcting workplace violence hazards. And what that means is, the inspections or the site walks or the assessment of um, workplace violence hazards has to include those employees. So I think where the rubber meets the road, we may see some logistic problems about how are you going to get that employee involvement and how are you going to 
maybe stave off any kind of um, activist employee involvement, asking for too much. Right. And I think that for most big companies that let's say they have big monthly or quarterly safety meetings, workplace violence may likely be a new topic that you have to address in those kind of safety meetings as a way to involve employees. And historically, workplace violence has not been a big topic at, let's say, your company safety meeting at a manufacturer. You're usually there talking about guarding and lockout tagout, maybe safe loads. And now there's going to need to be a pivot into a new area that maybe is a little bit unfamiliar, but will be required to be discussed and having employees identifying and helping address the workplace hazards. That's right. I 100% agree. So what about, we've got our workplace violence prevention plan, it's implemented. What about other employers working on the site, like a construction site? How's that going to work? So this law... Uh, calls out multi-employer sites and uh, is very specific in indicating that the plan that the employer has must have a method of coordination for implementing the plan with other employers so that the employers and the employees understand their respective roles as provided in the plan. Let's boil that down a little bit, Robert. So on a multi-employer work site, I think it's going to have to be very clear what the overall workplace violence plan is, let's say for the corner of, you know, Fifth and Elm, right? right? The big construction site there. What the workplace violence plan is, what the security plans are, how someone reports workplace violence, and maybe even, you know, adding that to particular, you know, safety meetings, but it needs to be clearly mapped out between those employers on, on those type of sites. And I do believe that for like temp agencies and staffing companies, this is another area that will have to be more clearly defined. You know, you and I sometimes see these MOUs right. or these contracts, these staffing agencies, and they may touch on safety or, or they'll have uh, terms about who's responsible for what and who's responsible for particular training or particular PPE. And this will be another area that needs to be fleshed out in those type of contracts. Absolutely. Now, what about how an employer accepts or responds to uh, complaints of workplace violence? How's that going to work? So that has to be incorporated in the plan. So your plan has to have a procedure for the employees to submit, provide, communicate reports of workplace violence to the employer in an effective way. And very specifically, your plan needs to communicate that there is no retaliation against employees who make any type of report. Now, I think this is a little redundant. You're a labor and employment law attorney, Robert, and I know you do a lot of single plaintiff cases too. There are a lot of rules about retaliation and discrimination, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, and there's a lot of California laws already covering this. Um, and, and, you know, kind of a yeah. side note, I do anticipate we'll probably see an uptick in, you know, uh, retaliation-based claims for mm-hmm. I brought forth 
workplace violence complaints and then I was terminated or you know transferred or whatever the case may be but it is a little bit redundant but still um, is a requirement of SB 553 that you have to prohibit retaliation against an employee who makes a report. Right. And so that can also be something that a, a, a posted notice should cover too, in addition to the plan. Now, the plan also requires, I, I hope everybody's, I, I picture people in this podcast driving and I don't want them <laughs> right. to drive off the road as we're like eight points down mm. in this list, Robert, but effective procedures to ensure supervisory and non-supervisory employees comply with the plan. I really think that that means that all of the processes and rules that are contained in the plan need to be communicated and a compliance mechanism set in place, whether that's, you know, your investigations, your training, your communication. We're going to make sure that everybody knows the rules and knows how to comply with the rules. And interestingly, this particular provision in the law actually looped back and references the IIPP regulations, yes. that which gives some guidance on how you would uh, enforce compliance. And it would be, you know, um, giving attaboys that right. you're, you're following the law or following the, the rules of our, our workplace violence prevention plan and disciplining folks who aren't um, and doing periodic inspections. So it really is a, a significant kind of hodgepodge of things you have to do to make sure that supervisory and non-supervisory employees are complying with the plan. I, I like those points, Robert. And so I think that shows, uh, especially HR professionals and maybe general counsel out there, that some of your workplace rules and let's say your discipline and how, you know, some of your HR policies are going to touch on this. And and there can be a bit of a rub and you'll have to make sure that this plan is very integrated with all of your policies. Right. Absolutely. And so what are the requirements around um, identifying and evaluating workplace violence hazards? So this is very similar to IIPP language and other Title VIII California Code of Regulation language. And that, that requires periodic inspections that can be, you know, everything from walkthroughs, you know, using the plant example, you can have periodic inspections that can be daily, weekly, monthly that are very broad, you can have a specific inspection just for workplace violence hazards and also for any work practices. So for example, if you have truck drivers delivering your product, you'll need to identify hazards related to these truck drivers uh, working and maybe the deliveries are happening in a difficult or dangerous location. So identifying and evaluating the hazards is a critical part of the plan. And what we would see in, let's say, your typical Cal OSHA inspection would be uh, a document demand that would say, give us all your documents that identify and evaluate workplace violence. And they're expecting to see some kind of inspection sheets, reports, things like that. What do you think, Robert? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to have to be something written. You're going to want to have that to be able to produce to Cal OSHA upon request. You know, I think you and I have litigated enough Cal OSHA <laughs> cases to, to realize that the division takes the stance that if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Yes, 100%. Let's talk about the plan also has to have 
then the next step in that is procedures to correct those hazards. So you've identified and evaluated the hazards. Now you have to have a procedure to correct those hazards. And then next would be procedures for incident response and investigation. That's very similar to your IIPP rule where you have to have an accident investigation. And based on our litigation, Robert, could you do that post-incident investigation privileged? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, this, at this point, you know, it is a gray area um, that I think will have to be litigated at some point. Uh, but because the law specifically requires that there be an investigation and there is some link up with the record keeping, yeah. it's a gray area. We, we don't know yet. <laughs> And I think that it's important, though, in these type of investigations, especially like what Robert and I talked about, the murder case we had and and some other, let's say, high profile ones. I, I do think the requirement for an investigation needs to be managed. So lastly, I want to talk. Another requirement in the plan is procedures to review the effectiveness of the plan and revise it. So you have to review your plan at least annually and when deficiencies are observed or after a workplace violence incident. So that reviewing effectiveness and making revisions is also an important part of the workplace violence prevention plan requirements of SB 553. That was a lot. I know that was exhausting. (laughs) I, I hope everyone's been patient. So That's our review of what the plan requirements are. Um, We have a lot more in details about logs and hazard, uh, all these other parts, hazard identification and everything, but that's your high level overview. All right. So all these requirements sound quite burdensome. (laughs) Right. Can you describe compliance with all these requirements and how employers can effectively comply? So I think compliance is going to be extremely custom, Robert. Comparing, let's say, a small corner bodega with a large luxury department store, very different hazards, right? Very different resources and very different ways to address the hazard. And so my theme here is that every plan Every uh, company's focus on workplace violence needs to be highly customized. And even if you start from basic concepts, you, you must take a look at the specific tasks, the specific risk, the specific hazards that your employees are encountering. And I think that companies and locations where there may be higher risk of crime need to address it in their plan. And companies where employees go to remote locations or sites need to address that in their plans. You know, you and I, we've had quite a few of these electrical company clients, Robert, and sometimes when they go out to work on power lines in a remote area, somebody meets them with a gun at the gate, right? Right. Where the easement is. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's not, and I don't say that, you know, lightly, like they're being met with someone with a gun that says, get off our property, right? And so, Understanding those individual risks and addressing the risk and training the employees to deal with the risk, and and it needs to be very specific. And even though the concepts are broad and, you know, kind of core principles, the the customization and the details are going to be very company specific. Yeah, and I think one one good place to start is 
with those different types of violence we talked about, the type yes. one through four, is to really think long and hard about those and, and what is my risk of, of having an incident on type one and type two and type three and type four? And what am I going to do specifically to address that um, in detail in the plan? I think that's important, Robert. And I like that you connected it back to the four types of violence. And I know that employers can be a little daunted with compliance, but, but these employers know their businesses better than anybody else, right? If you run a bodega, you know that business like anybody else. So certainly, um, you know, developing that plan with your own personal knowledge is what is needed to be effective. So what are some of the expected enforcement tactics that you foresee by Cal OSHA? Well, um, one thing we've learned, whether it's with our heat illness plan or our COVID prevention plan, is the inspector is going to ask for that written plan and the lack of the plan and lack of handing it over immediately could range from, you know, a small regulatory or general to a serious if there's been, uh, let's say, an incident and you don't have a plan, then Calosha is going to issue a citation and say, well, you didn't have a plan and it led to this serious incident and someone right. was hospitalized. I also think the logs and record keeping. When these inspectors make a document demand and ask for, you know, typically it's the OSHA 300 logs and record keeping, they're going to ask for that violent incident log. And that's going to be an easy regulatory or general citation if you don't have it ready. And some of these record keeping requirements are up to five years for the various parts yes. of the plan. So that's something to keep in mind is if, if you don't have it going back, um, you're going to be in, in a real tight spot with Cal OSHA. I agree, Robert. And and certainly having access to it, right? Having having people who can pull up that log quickly when you need it. I also want to talk about enforcement around training. We know that in interviews of employees, the inspectors always ask about training. <laughs> when, when you have a heat illness inspection, the questions are, were you trained on heat illness? Do you know what the heat illness procedures are? Um, do you know how to recognize heat illness? Now, substitute workplace violence. Have you been trained in workplace violence? Right. Do you know what the workplace <laughs> violence procedures are? Do you understand the, the signs of workplace violence? So, who do you report to? Right. And who do you report that to? Exactly. So if you look at how heat illness is enforced and other regulations, I think you can easily jump to how the Cal OSHA inspector is going to enforce a workplace violence plan. And I see this as a top priority. You know, when we talk to district managers in informal conferences or, you know, talking over a case, trying to settle a case, whatever we're doing, there's been a shift that I've really heard about in the last year or so, Robert where these district managers are sending people out more on these type of incidents compared to what we've seen in the past. Yeah, I've had those same conversations, um, and it really just has been a, a significant shift at Cal OSHA. And as we mentioned, the requirements of SB 553 don't actually come into effect until July 1st, 2024. But um, we, we know that Cal OSHA is out there investigating workplace violence under the IIPP regulations right now. So it's, it is something that's on the front burner um, or should be right now. 
Yes. And I, and I think that if there's any news coverage of an incident or if you have to report a serious injury or fatality, the Cal OSHA inspector is going to come out. Well, gosh, Karen, thank you so much for, for all the great information. And thanks to you all out there for listening today um, to part two of our three-part series on California workplace violence compliance with SB 553. Until next time, we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.